My name is Dr. Nate Shanock. And my name is Merrick Egbert. This is the official podcast of the Ells for Autism Foundation for Autism. We call our podcast this because it's a play on our foundation's name, and Merrick and I are both terrible golfers. But we love how golf has become such a transformative tool to helping people with autism. When I'm not part of the podcast, I'm a member of our growing research team. When I'm not part of the podcast, I'm an administrative assistant. Uh, not for long. Filling in the gaps of each department like glue. And I am actually forming a career within the um, Else for Autism Foundation. And I am also autistic. So this is our 33rd episode of the podcast, Doing Globally, with special guests, advisory board member, James A. Williams and Kai Manai Davis of the Golf Trust. Both individuals have important roles when we talk about the global scope of reaching out to making sure that everyone with autism can have the same standard of treatment and potential. So make sure to stay tuned for their interviews on part A of the podcast. Also on part A is, a, is our foundation news and updates where you will learn more about what we have been doing as a foundation, what we are doing and what we will be doing. What we hope to do is to present news and updates about our foundation, interviews or feature stories that play a big role with us and with the community as a whole. Speaking of which for part B, Listeners will get to hear our Today in the World of Autism segment, where we posit the news and current events reflective of the world we live in today. Also check our show notes for websites, resources, and other groovy things we would like to have on the written record for all of you for autism fans. First of all, here are some news and updates about the foundation. So tune into episode 32 to listen to our interviews with advisory board member, Sue Abramowski and fellow self-advocate and employee, Everett Burslow. They talk about the importance of funding organizations that help support individuals with autism and how as a foundation, we make a difference. Make sure to listen to also listen to the, the rest of the program to get an idea of what we were doing as a foundation during that time and learn something new about the autism community for our Today in the World of Autism segment. So I would like to um, say that uh, I unfortunately couldn't make it on Giving Tuesday, but um, as aspiring as it is, we have hit a new record of giving. So thank you so much for uh, Giving Tuesday, Cyber Monday, and for everyone who, who has made it possible. And I appreciate you. Um, and I appreciate all the staff that has taken 
their time to make, you know, uh, dreams of autism, of individuals of autism um, come true. So thank you. Okay, so December movie night, we will continue our revival of our Friday movie night with showing the family favorite Home Alone on Friday, December 16th in our open air courtyard. Our last event was on November 19th where we showed Inside Out and we were very successful. We will update soon with new movies once the new year has been crossed. Burning question, Nate, have you seen Home Alone and what did you think about it? All-time classic. It's right up there with my favorite Christmas movies. Macaulay Culkin, fantastic. Joe Pesci, phenomenal. I give it a 10 out of 10. Okay. Well, this is uh, Movie Reviews with uh, Nate. And um, unfortunately... I think that you're missing one actor. Um, was it, uh, oh gosh, I'm thinking of Chris Elliott, but no, it's Daniel Lloyd. <laughs> he looks enough like Chris Elliott. I see yeah. where you got that. Yeah, I believe that he was the narrator of the, um, hit TV show, The Wonder Years. Huh. Yeah, yeah, I can't recall his name at the moment, but it is a fun time of year for movies. Um, AMC's rotating between Christmas Vacation, Elf, and Four Christmases every night. So um, there's, pro there's probably a market for some, some new and improve Christmas movies also. Okay. So actually, by the power of Google, <laughs> I have ascertained that the name was Daniel Stern. Oh, and wow. Good find. I think that maybe uh, I was confused with Christopher Lloyd also. But yeah, Daniel Stern did the narration of uh, the hit TV show, The Wonder Years. Well, I'm glad we got to the bottom of that one. I, you know, just a lesson for our listeners. We will solve the problem. Okay. We may also create the problem, but we will eventually solve it. Yep. All right. So um, our pri primary micro business currently is associated with some of our clients through our fabulous ADT adult day training program who have taken their time along with our fantastic staff and volunteers to create outstanding nautical themed arts and crafts for people to marvel at and purchase called Sea of Possibilities. Our Sea of Possibilities booth makes its appearance all over the country, all makes his appearances all over the country of, uh, all over the county of Palm Beach, where the clients with the program help to sell their designs, which helps fund our adult services programs and services. I'm an avid buyer of Sea of Possibilities merchandise 
and but I also manage our Facebook page for the program. At the time of this broadcast, see a possibilities. We'll see you soon for the new year. And if you aren't able to make it in person, we have an online store that you can look at to consider purchasing items there too. And so, so if you can recall last year, right as I completed my 50 state tour, I was tired of seeing snow and ice, especially because I don't have a great sense of balance and wanted a vacation with purpose, with a purpose. Right before the start of 2020 was my mother's retirement gift of cruising the Panama Canal. And unfortunately, it hasn't sailed the dock since. Well, my co-captain, I have decided to sail these seven seas in search of treasure. Barbados, Grenada, and I'm hankering to seek these historical and breathtaking artifacts. What are you doing for Christmas and New Year's? Well, it's very exciting, Eric. Um, you know, uh, that would be tough to top. Uh, as usual, my wife and I have a lot of family coming to visit uh, from New, New Jersey, and um, I have some family from Chicago coming. So um, it'll, be, it'll be really fun to have everybody and engage in some of the activities that we as Floridians sometimes take for granted, like going to the beach and, um, you know, going on trails in the Everglades, um, all that fun stuff. So just going to get together, have some quality time with the family and hopefully have a lot of good food. Well, actually, as uh, your folks are from Chicago and her folks are from New York, well, New Jersey, I think that we could settle it um, by uh, a winner, I guess. <laughs> Chicago pizza versus New York pizza. I like that idea, Merrick. I think that could quickly result in uh, Christmas chaos taking hold in the Shannock house. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a pretty heated debate. All right. Well, I believe that both have their strengths and weaknesses, and I love them both. So uh, I will stand as mediator in case there is a brawl that has to do with Chicago or New York-style pizza. I'll tell you what, if that happens, you're invited. We will definitely need a mediator. All right. Um, Merrick, what do you guys usually like to eat for Christmas? Um, actually, you know, this is a joke that I have offered um, earlier today, but um, the way we do it for uh, the holidays is through reservations. Yeah, the way we make meals is through reservations. Got it. Got it. Well, I'm sure nonetheless, you you guys with your expertise on good food, I'm sure um, you'll be eating very well. So let me... Uh, 
explain to you what the importance is for our next, for our first guest of the program. So established in 2012 at the Shire of London Golf Club by Kaya Manai Davis, as um, have, have I pronounced your name correctly? Spot on, perfect, perfect. Okay. And Frank Harrington, it grew from a shared goal of the two men to showcase the inclusive nature of golf. Kai, who had been splitting his time between his playing responsibilities on, on the Asian tour and his involvement with the Shire London was struck by a broader range of society playing the sport he loves. It was during a visit to golf live at the London Club in Kent that he met Frank, and, who had been invited to provide activities for children and young people through their Calm Golf program. Calm Golf, aka Community Golf, started out as a sports and education outreach program for the UK male cancer char charity Orchid. The program used golf as a mechanism to engage people in their awareness message that playing, the, that playing sport and living a healthy lifestyle can help in the fight against cancer. The program continues to work as a successful arm as the Orchard message, Orchid message, and has worked with schools and community groups across the UK. The Golf Trust brings together all the various strands of Calm Golf and the Shire London's work with disabilities, creating something that means every one can experience golf regardless of ability, age, socioeconomic status, and location. That's us. Well, yep. Sorry. Well, Kai, welcome to the program here. We're very uh, excited to have you on. I'm personally excited because we got to collaborate a little bit on one of our multi-site game on ball programs and I have to say aside from all of the great work he's doing he's probably the the speediest to reply to emails that I've seen I uh, don't know if it has something to do with the coffee he's drinking but it's impressive <laughs> yeah definitely the coffee <laughs> so I want to start off by asking you why are sports and physical activity programs valuable for individuals with autism spectrum disorder specifically? So over the years, as Nate, as um, Merrick mentioned, um, we've had the the privilege of of uh, teaching golf and meeting so many people um, in the ASD community across the UK and, uh, and in the Caribbean as well, and. Um, the benefits are far and wide, uh, as we all know. And um, besides the, the physical aspects of, of being healthy, the coordination, strength, balance, um, we see huge, huge improvements in, in social communication. Um, and that to us is, is the biggest factor that has opened up more corridors um, than just playing the sport uh, into, the, into, the, into work life, into just home life, being able to... to learn skills that are transferable um, across many strands of life. Um, and, and that's probably the, the biggest benefit for us is seeing how sport can elevate uh, any individual. Um, and especially golf, uh, we see the benefits um, from the first session straight away. We see a, 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 an enlightenment, shall we say, sometimes uh, when um, 
the session start uh, for the children and their adults and their peers. And um, there's there's always doubters to, to programs with, with sport and ASD, but once you see it firsthand, it's very hard to, to sort of say it, it doesn't work. Um, we know firsthand it works. We see it every day and, and the results do prove it. Yeah, it's it's definitely powerful when you're getting a chance to witness it up close, uh, as I sometimes did with our various tennis and golf programs. One quick follow-up question. Is there something in uh, that's unique to golf that would, would make it... Um, you know, a viable fit um, in a therapeutic context. I know you yeah. mentioned the communication, but definitely, definitely. I mean, um, golf, I find is regardless of, of ASD and disability, it's um, it's self-learning. It's it's taking ownership of something, which is something everyone can can use and learn, not just the, the ASD community. Um, the, the the reactiveness of you seeing direct results um the the routine the repetitions um it's almost like golf is the perfect fit um for, for, for what we're looking to achieve um absolutely it's it really is if you were to board to sort of write down the, the key things we need to work on um golf does everything and uh it doesn't get shouted out enough how how positive the outcomes are uh, regardless of the sport if we can deliver a positive outcome uh, through routine, through repetition, make someone smile, the game's going to continue. And that we see that through what the game actually does. Yeah, I, I actually um, think that um, what befits the gentleman's game for the gentleman's sport, because it's not about, you know, um, having a eight-person team uh, you know, one's the weakest link and one's a strong link or whatever. It's basically play at your own pace, play at your own time and learn the sport and, and learn to do well. But it's, it's actually a, um, a, a perfect sport because it, it actually asks you of patience and of persistence and it doesn't ask you to you know uh stick in a moment of aggression yeah and a moment of you know um how pressurous can it can be how how uh just uh mind-numbing it can be it, it's it's actually like i said what befits a gentleman's game for a gentleman's sport yeah, hundred percent. And um, the game. When we talk of regression, I always have this magic phrase: I can guarantee success in five seconds. And it's how you measure success is what is the key element. So, as you said, that word regression can only exist if you don't have progression. And the key is measuring success in the individual from the first stage. And we guarantee success because making contact with the ball is an element of success so the quicker we can get a thumbs up a smile and and um reaffirm that that, that element it just grows straight away because how, how positive feedback is all great but when you visually see the outcome you're right it's, it's there straight away 
Yeah. Also, it's an extremely rewarding feeling to hit a, a golf ball. It's not something I personally experienced a lot, but <laughs> the select few times, I will say it's it, it's very rewarding. And you know, that alone can really be a key motivator into uh, catching someone's attention uh, and their their dedication, you know, to want to do that better. Massively. And, and Merrick said something there about team sport. No one wants to be the person that gets picked last. And if you always pick last, you, you, your confidence is going to be rock bottom. Um, so having that self, that, that, that emotion to yourself that you've done something, achieved something straight away, not many sports can do that. And it is perfect for that. Yeah, thank you. So uh, next here, how is the L's for Autism UK Center making a difference in the community? And um, we hear a lot about the feedback that we get from parents uh, and families here in, in the US and Jupiter. But could you talk a little bit about uh, some of that feedback that you've been getting? Yeah, of course. I mean, to work alongside um, Els for Autism UK, I know the, the pictures aren't going out, but you see one logo on my arm there and another one on my chest. The two of us work hand in hand. And um, the way we're seeing it received over here is the, the confidence is growing in the parents. Um, over years, golf in the UK, we're still a long way behind um, the States um, in terms of how the game is perceived. Um, it's still very elite, still very um, middle class, and there's still a lot of golf clubs who just don't accept that there's other people outside their four walls. Um, but when the sessions are happening, the, the parents, and, the, and more importantly, we're seeing the word of mouth is spreading to have family bubbles come forward and want to learn together. Um, off the from the from the from the game on sessions, we're seeing the referral just grow literally week on week um, across the country, and it's um, I think it might be seven years we've been working together now. I think with the Els for Autism, trying to rack my brain, it's been a long time um, since uh, since we, we we first started working together, and it is it's a program now that is known across the UK. Um, the game on sessions, the, the way it's recorded, the monitoring to showcase that to the participants and their parents, um, it, it's it's amazing. Um, I can't speak highly enough of the project because um, when you have, it sounds crazy, when you have someone just come up and you witness the participants and parents just giving a hug to a coach, um, that emotion is why we do it. Um, to see those families connect um, together, uh, it, it it really is rewarding to know that the work that Els for Autism has done in the past, and now we're helping bring that to life over here through the to the UK branch. It's it's so rewarding. Yeah, it's very commendable. And what's interesting is, I think you mentioned this earlier, but it's one of the few programs that includes different out different uh, time points of measurement for performance abilities uh, within the sport and also fitness abilities as well as social skills and um, the measurement aspect is um, is really unique and it's helpful because uh, it it provides you know um, it provides something tangible for 
uh, parents to see and, and also um, for the participants themselves, you know, to be able to, to just see how uh, much the program is helping. And, um, you know, on that note, we have the Game On program um, utilized with, with golf and also tennis, um, you know, here in the States, uh, tennis, I would say would probably be the most frequently used sport in autism therapy programs. Um, what, in your mind, is there another sport that, that might also translate well besides golf and tennis? It's, it's a weird one for me because <laughs> I, um, I have a few passions in life and, um, one of them is boxing. And I know it sounds crazy, but obviously not one-to-one -one fighting, but learning the technique on the pads, on the bag, and moving around, um, that sort of release, that sort of movement, it's almost a dance um, when you're working on the pads. If you ever get the chance, a Floyd Mayweather, um, just work with the trainer. That one-to-one -one aspect, that feedback, that progression, um, it's almost rebound therapy-ish, so to speak. Um, I think that's a great sports swimming is another one we see all the time and, and 10 pin bowling um sports that give instant feedback um we see being really successful over here uh, but one I've, I've seen a few participants of ours um, alongside golf is, is boxing um obviously we're not going to put people in the ring together and, and have a tear up um but <laughs> the, the training aspect of, of working of pad work uh, and seeing people's confidence grow um from being able to move around the gym because the motions are very similar to golf in terms of the swing um, and the discipline that is needed. And we see the offshoots of diet. We see the offshoots of, of more, a little bit more strenuous exercise as well. We see the physical benefits and the mental benefits of confidence and growth from, from the, the few uh, participants we've seen engage with this. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and I know of some research that's utilized karate and taekwondo programs uh so that the boxing uh image that that's not i don't see that as being so far-fetched you know um it sounds like a lot of the skills could could translate well um definitely and if you look at what we're trying to achieve in, in terms of the social communication side one of the biggest things is confidence working together growing as a person and boxing does that um how many times we see in sessions, especially with ASD, putting is always the easy bit, the soft shots. When it comes to hitting driver, we sometimes see a lot of fear to hit the ball hard because we don't know what goes on behind closed doors and, and maybe um, there's always reinforcement not to be too boisterous. Um, but sometimes a release every now and then of hitting a driver as hard as you can is needed um, to cross that line and cross that barrier to, to grow. Yeah, well, definitely. Will, sorry for, for uh, interrupting there. No, go for it, um, But I will uh, want to get you into the ring, <laughs> actually, for around the Mike Tyson's punch out. So, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. It, it wouldn't be a it, it it wouldn't be real, but it will be a video game. So, uh, yeah. My pretty face can't be mangled, Merrick. So my wife will be happy. It's a video game. <laughs> 
No touching of the hair or face in this uh, fight. The hair, the hair's, it's a little bit salt and peppery now. It's, 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 this age is catching up with me. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Also with um, sports that focus on self-defense, uh, there's an element of, you know, um, you, you could also work on, you work heavily on focusing ability you would also could also teach you know some restraint um you know learning when when to throw a punch or or throw kicks exactly and that, yeah. you know there's there's a lot of different angles you could take there and it all comes into routine as well i mean three minute rounds throwing combinations what and it's it's, it's feedback all the time and when we're looking to build into sessions when people progress it's all about practice swing, breathing, hitting your shot, taking turns. The same mantras can apply to, to coaching any sport, especially martial arts and and and, uh, and sports, because it becomes into a routine. And, and ingraining that um, in life is, especially with ASD, is massive. And whatever we can do to find avenues to keep people fit and well, whilst we're doing that, it's a no-brainer for me. Yeah, that's great stuff. All right, Merrick, I'll pass the, the rock over to you. Okay, so um, I have wanted to ask you about this uh, since, I believe, July, June, whatever, and I have been wanting to talk about this because it is so much of a of a grand plan and it is of course i guess that you would say it's your own baby or it's your own you know uh birth thing but um can you explain the four ball tournament in the context of the else for autism foundation I can indeed, Mary. And uh, it's something that um, actually came about randomly from an idea from the um, what Nate was saying earlier from the multi-site uh, multi-site program we done. Um, I think it was last year. And uh, in, in my head, I've wanted to do it for a while and it just sort of the pieces fell into place nicely. So the theory behind it was to have participants go through the 12 session game on program in sites that were operating globally um, using the uh, else autism program um, so we highlighted london um ireland with adele shani in south africa uh, rob i think rob up rob is in um, canada and, and greg and yourselves in jupiter and our, our plan was to, to track the journey but most importantly to learn about each other's cultures and how we are all equal through through this game of golf and through the Elsewhere Autism program, um, and there's a small little competitive element as well attached to attached to the tournament, the three hole tournament as well, uh, at the end of the twelve weeks where we all try and tee off at the same time across the time zones. We have the online method of scoring that we used. Uh, I want to make it this year, and we culminated in South Africa um, winning the event uh, in, for the first year. But most importantly was through the event, we were taking videos and asking questions of what does golf mean to the individuals, um, why they enjoy it and what they see the benefit of the game on program. 
And one of the biggest things we learned this year was we are all the same. No matter where we're from, what what what, what continent we were on, uh, I think it's amazing we had three continents um, across the world playing game on, learning about each other's um, culture and having firsthand seeing the, the team in London know they were competing internationally the week of the British Open against a team in South Africa where they started learning about South Africa, a team in Ireland, they learned about Ireland, they were learning about these countries. It was phenomenal. And um, they were going home talking to their parents. Their parents said, I can't believe my, my kids are competing in an international event. And uh, when they look into the programme, they see how the magnitude of, of what is happening out there, it just needs to be shouted about. And um, the first year was was a huge success. There's things we learned, there's things we, we can definitely do better. Um, and we will do better because the, the amazing guys and girls we have operating the programmes around the world, as you well know, is, is phenomenal. And so um, how successful was the four ball tournament? And I think that I've heard a rumor that there are grander plans for the future, or at least an expansion of countries. Yeah, you're right. Um, this year, I will say that the tournament format was brilliant. Um, and what we what we learned was everyone has their own level of ability. And um, we don't want to take away, an, we don't want an, an elite angle to the event. Everyone's got to be able to compete. And we found a good way of doing that with, with uh, real golf clubs and snag golf as well. We found a percentage that works. If you want to do three holes in a playing field, you could do three holes in a playing field or you could do three holes on a golf course. So we weren't limited to where um, to where we could play it, which is the beauty of the programme um, because it, it doesn't promote elitism in the game. Um, and in the UK, that's the biggest issue we seem to find is the game is still viewed as elite and we're trying to constantly break those barriers. Um, going forward, the, the plans are big. Um, in my head... I want to try and get as many countries as we can involved. 20 countries is my aim. Um, so I'm going to have a lot of work with you, Merrick, over the next few months, trying to locate plans and see what we can do. But this year, we want to try and uh, introduce someone in South America and on the continent of Europe is the plan to try and get up to eight, seven or eight um, uh, countries involved and really try and up the communication between the participants in these countries to try and have each country create a message about their country um so to speak so that can be shared across um ac across the platform because the biggest thing is the world's a small place we shouldn't be isolated to, to just our home counties uh, or our street five streets that we live in and by opening people's eyes to that they they're not the only people doing this um we can really connect globally um, the game on program and the benefits of golf for those of the ASD. And uh, what uh, promise that's been made. And I, I bet you that I'll, that I'll be with uh, 21 countries with 23 countries. Um, you are an aspirational figure and uh and uh ambitious one too we have to live 
If we don't dream, what do we do? Shoot for the moon, you might hit a star. That's the way I look at it. You can always going to find something you can you can do. Enough is never enough. Uh, it, it sounds cheesy, Merrick and, and Nate, but I started the Gulf Trust 10 years ago with Frank and through personal circumstance, something led me to, to get involved with Disability Gulf. And to this day, it's, you don't go to bed it sounds really cre- really cheesy, really cringe sometimes when you say it. You don't go to bed wondering about what you've done. You go to bed wondering about who you can't help. And it's the ones you can't help that drive us on to, to really do better. Um, because there's a million people who might never, ever get the opportunity to benefit from what we can offer. And if we can reach just one of those people, then it's been a success. Um, and and it's, it's a common goal we all share to try and help those who, who need to be... Um, helped uh, across the platforms um and we will do it i mean you're going to have me over there in in march i'll be there for the conference so i'm sure we can uh, have a cup of coffee and, and have a chat and uh, get that game of goal get game of uh, mike tyson on the computer as well <laughs> all right um so would you like to give some pointers as to how to organize your lo- your own floorball tournament 100%. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing is just keep it fun, make it achievable. Um, and don't let location dictate what you can do. Anything is possible in any surrounding. Um, golf is just a game to hitting a ball to a target. As long as people have fun, as long as people enjoy it, just make sure people smile. Don't make the competitive element the whole element. The main thing is camaraderie, sportsmanship, um, People win, people lose every day. But the main thing is competing and doing it together. That's how we will become winners. And that's my biggest advice is just make sure people have fun. Make sure people understand that they're doing things well um, because that's what will bring us back and bring more people to the game um, and more people to the program. Okay. So I'd like to thank... um... Uh, Kyle and I Davis because um, he spent his time with us and uh, great answers to uh, kind of good questions I, I guess but <laughs> but yeah I I, uh, I will have to say that this is a great interview and so uh, I wish you the very best. Uh, thank you for having yeah. me, Merrick. And uh, happy Christmas and a Merry New Year. Um, don't drink too much. I won't. I know that for sure. And um, I shall see you uh, all in March when the weather will be a lot more sunny than here as well. But thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Happy holidays, Kai. Thanks for joining us. And uh, yeah, the answer certainly outclass the questions <laughs> today. Uh, my pleasure. It's my pleasure, gents. Have a wonderful evening. All right. So James A. Williams is originally from England. At at three years old, he was diagnosed with autism and admitted to processing information different from most people. It was around that time when he was starting to take small lessons in playing the piano, but never picked up on it. Around 2010, however, a decision was made that would change his life for the better. He stumbled across a YouTube visual tutorial on Fantasy Impromptu, Op 
66 in C sharp minor by Frederick Chopin, which quickly became his go-to trademark for pianos for his piano skills. After months of practicing and following along without traditional music theory, he memorized the famous masterpiece. After more inspiration and determination for establishing his gift, he took on the next step of his journey, participating in the National Fine Arts Competition. In order to raise funds to travel with the church, with the church congregation across the country, performing for tips and selling CDs helped out tremendously. Thus, the moment with the classics was, was born by mid-2011 with a few recordings of his classical rendition. So thanks uh, for you being our guest, uh, James Williams. Oh, no problem. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, uh, thanks so much for joining our podcast, James. We're big fans of your work. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about how people have different passions that guide them to, to do incredible things and, and to, to really make a difference. So we know that you're an exceptional musician. But I, I wanted to ask you, if you didn't get inspired by music, what do you think another inspiration could have been in your life? Uh, okay, another inspiration that could have been in my life, maybe uh, could do on, on the side of um, uh, potentially the psychology. Um, that, that may have uh, came about. That's my you know, secondary like um, interest I uh, came across. But I haven't actually shared any of that kind of interest uh, with anyone. It's only from uh, sparked interest from you, know, certain experiences and you know, like relationships. Um, but it's essentially, it would have been you know, like just to commit some ministry work. It would have been you know like rock psychology and or maybe even holistic health. Um, but those are probably uh, other ones that I, I wouldn't actually be certain for sure if, it, if I wasn't you know, in music. Um, it could have been endless possibilities what I've could have gotten into, but it's most like, likely health side, uh, mental health side, or uh, yeah. ministry work. So that's probably probably what I would have ended up uh, pursuing more fully. If it, if, it, if it wasn't music. That's really cool. I actually fell back on psychology because I wasn't very good at music. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but psychology is it's such an interesting field. You know, it's, it's applicable to everything. And I'm sure you've been able to use um, some strategies and some knowledge to help you become a better musician from psychology? Um, actually, yes, I have. But pretty, pretty much inspiring. I actually performed for a lot of uh, uh, seniors uh, at uh, events where like, a lot of like, senior communities actually live. Um, a lot of people like to retire and, and lots of people with memory care. And I think well, what was really touching, I, uh, when a moment of a classic was started, I initially um my first time um performing in front of uh of like a like an elderly elderly crowd it was like supposed to be like a secondary mission work work for the church who we went 
yeah. uh, in, you know, na- nat- um, nationals, internationals, I don't know, district to nationals. It was district to nationals. It was like fine arts. I mean, it's been going on for like 50 something years. Uh, they told Bible stories and human, you know, like they act it. It's like, it's not, it's not charades. It's like they have a gr- have groups that act out Bible stories and like, with music in the background. It's like, um, I don't know, it was, it was, it was like showing a story, showing stories uh, in like form of, uh, you know, just human art. And it was actually very interesting and very difficult to do. It takes months of preparation, but I was mostly for piano solo. Uh, but uh, it's actually rather competitive and they had like certain rules uh, or like they had, it had to be you know, like faith-based and everything. But um, I've always, I've got nationals through, you know, through times in a row. And then like our church didn't participate. It was just, um, if you wanted to continue, it was just on your own. But... Um, so that that's what um, when I, when they perform when I had like little performances for um, like you like some local nursing homes that's when uh, I first experienced you know performing music and really like touching people's lives. Uh, yeah, but, uh, I mean initially I I would walk into a room and these uh, everyone is at least ninety years old almost and. Um, introducing myself was like um it it was very it was always awkward at first it was always so awkward at first and I I never I didn't know what to expect but at least after an hour of performing pieces that they uh you probably used to like and it just they go from you know just being very mute and almost like borderline zombies to being able to have a small conversation and they're, they're more alive and it was just something very touching about uh, performing for like uh, these um, these like you know people these grandparents great grandparents uh, that need a lot of assistance and they just like it's just made their day to a point where they can hold a like more conversation and like almost like more alive it's like I brought them back to life after performances yeah. you know, a number of times that happened it's really um that that's the first like um like health and mental health therapy that I've come to discover as well it's just like music is rejuvenating having having that ability and gift I really touched some, like some families over over my uh, independent piano career that's incredible and that's so meaningful that you had performances in front of that population you know one thing i i want to add to that is they've actually done research recently where they found that playing complex pieces of music for elderly individuals that have cognitive impairment or have early signs of alzheimer's disease even that that it actually helps activate parts of their brain that are involved with memory. So you are literally providing an incredible therapy for the brains of those people. Yeah, no, I, I, know, I was learning all about that. I actually read some studies and uh, this is a really famous YouTube video. And I know it's like um, a gentleman that was like a, in a home where like, um, he, he was initially interviewed um, at the start and I mean, what happened they played some, they played some music that he enjoyed when he was uh 
maybe in his teens or twenties, and he just he was alive. He just he had these he had conversations, and he his responses were went from yes and no to uh, you know actual formed sentences, but like um, but it was it was like more like emotional like live um, like uh, responses, detailed oriented as well. And yeah, it's it's like it's kind of touching, really. Yeah, it's incredible, and I like to say that music is another one of those great uniters. I feel that sports also has that same power, but if you get two people in a room that maybe come from all different walks of life and different ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds, but if they share that common interest in a sport or in music, you can really, you could, you could get somebody to, um, or you could get two people to start having incredible conversations. And I want to um, transition now that we've talked about psychology a little bit. um, So do you enjoy playing for large audiences? Is that something that fuels your energy or, is that a little bit intimidating at times? Uh, no, it's, it hasn't, hasn't been intimidating. I haven't um, actually kind of want, do want large audiences. I have to, I research the uh, like Instagram and advertisement where um, like, look, look, there's lots of like major music functions and there's festivals all over the United States there, and they, um, such a program where they, they actually invite people to uh, perform, but like they perform before, you know, like a major renowned artist and uh, they always need someone to fill in and they actually pay well. But I just research more on that. I, there's I'm not sure what the catch is, but I'm pretty sure, you know, there's the traveling involved and um, I can't believe I haven't really looked more into it because I remember I saved it and I didn't um, I didn't go into it right away. But um, but for bigger, bigger, big audiences, um, I would say if I been performing a certain amount of pieces for you know like years and years um yeah I'll, if, if i if it's like my standard you know 99 flawless i mean it's, it would be good enough for me depending on the audience if i was performing in front of world renowned artists and music professors that that's where it uh, gets like more you know where i really want to have like um uh, more hard on myself, more have like, or I have a higher, you know, standard and more, more critiquing myself, and that's like um, that boundary can cause you know, certain nerves that like might inhibit my natural ability to do um, uh, what I can do like by myself when it's like you know it's like more confident and when I can uh, you know, do practice and not really you know doing for audiences, but. For, for most audiences, I mean, if I'm performing, I've performed for like a lot of churches and everything. You're doing, you know, showing, you know, you know part, parts of my life. Um, I mean, like for, for big audiences, I mean, if it's general general audiences, I mean, I'm not nervous in front of people, but like, I think it's more if it's um, more like um, music professors and renowned artists, if I, you know, performed in front of them, that's uh, when it's like more. Like oh, a bit nervous, but yeah, actually, I, I do like you know, generally, generally like a bit you know, big audiences. Eh? Like special, it just needs to be like you know, planned or uh, I'm, I'm prepared, and it's actually kind of exciting. 
but I get the ner- I get the kind of exciting um, nerves. So yeah, I do like. Yeah, so just just uh, it does depend. Oh. Yeah, very very cool, and I think you highlighted some great tips there for our listeners who, you know, maybe will at some point get in front of an audience and deliver a speech or just perform whatever their craft is with an audience. You know, you mentioned ensuring that the preparation is there. Um, You also mentioned trying to uh, generate feelings of excitement um, out of maybe some butterflies that that could be there. Um, So my last question is, if you could play the piano for one person in the world of your choosing, uh, who would that person be? Yeah, um, so this is actually a, a very hard question because, like, I think I have at least six um, people that I'd, I'd probably like, like to perform for. Um, but I wanted it be wanted to be more sentimental than like, um, if anyone knows, like, you know, a piano is like, oh, um, so they're saying like, long, long, or Valentina Lazista, Yuja Wang, or you know, um, yeah, it was probably so many. Like, I memorized a few. Few, few Beethoven sonatas and uh, on the Steinway and Sons um, they feature Billy Joel because he's a Steinway ambassador and so is Franz Liszt which is uh, kind of a huge you know uh, like gap um, I, 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 there's at least a few I can't think of like just one person because like um, there's a lot of meaning behind uh, some of these individuals that like I have to like remember or like you know pick out and like who like who if I can like kind of break this rule, I'll do at least it's got to be six that I would absolutely perform for. And at least the first one being um um someone named someone named Lorenzo Medell. Um he used to be from the Philippines, he's a concert pianist now, but he had a, a video of playing him playing fantasy and problem two when he was like 10 years old. I'm 10 years old, I just moved here and I saw it, and it's just it's honestly very inspiring. Um, it's like it was uploaded 16 years ago it has a million views uh, but that's like one of the first like videos I saw you know from the fantasy impromptu and uh, it's got, that was like one of my favorites my debut piece so that I would play for that person and share um, like my discovery because I think we're the exact same age and I also came across uh, this like um, Korean you know um, show, uh, but it was only a clip of it. It was like this uh, blind pianist uh, who was like five years old who played played by ear. Uh, and she's like called Yi uh, Um, something uh, Yi Fum. And you know, like she was blind and she, uh, five years old, played. She played a little bit of release. You know, it wasn't like uh, warranted, but she's one of those prodigies that, like, you know, she. Wasn't taught how to play music, but it was just like the possibilities were endless and so inspiring. And it's like it, it actually brings tears to your eyes. You can you can find it on YouTube. It's like it's like an old video from like the eighties or two thousands. And uh, I mean, when they say inspiring, it was like almost like a I don't know if it was a talent show or something, but all I know, it just like the whole audience were just absolutely moved. And me and my mum watched this like years ago. It was also very move, moving, uh, and then there was this blind autistic singer uh, Cody Lee. Uh, I think America's Got Talent 2019. Uh, yeah, I think he's got a golden buzzer or something. 
like really, which was um, like so shockingly impressive and and also inspiring. So I, I do um, cater to that. I would perform for Cody Lee, and uh, there's this retired uh, math teacher called Jane. She has like so many piano um, tutorials. Like she does like read music, and it actually helps a lot of my pieces as well. Um, and especially, um, uh, okay, this is a Chinese um, uh, YouTuber where she uh, was, uh, you know, she's a classical pianist and I like, just reshoot this, but I discovered her video. This is what, uh, how I learned how to play fantasy in problem two initially with like the whole, her, just her videos of her, you know, like showing you how to play. It's like an old video and I discovered it in 2010 and that's how I actually learned how to play, perform that first piece, which was uh, an interesting first piece to learn because it's like, um, it's like kind of high up on the levels. It's not, it's not the most technically challenging piece in the world, but it is kind of up there. It's very intimidating at first. It's more intimidating than it really is. But to learn it how I played it, it's like, um, it became quite impressive. So uh, Harusu, yeah, from on YouTube, uh, she uploaded a video in 2008. I discovered it a couple of years later, and that's actually how I learned how to play piano. And probably the last one, Paul Burton, who's also a, a his association with uh, Ferrich Pianos in Vienna, and he does like piano tutorials. And I've, he's been on the YouTube game for quite a long time. When it came to tutorials, but he's like educated, detailed tutorials and. Those are ones I would love to perform for. Those are, those are my top six that I would uh, definitely not perform for. I, I can't, couldn't imagine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so those, those, and I would play for those um, people who absolutely inspired me to actually you know, perform piano and have my music world open. Well, that sounds like quite an audience, I have to say. And I'm going to pass it over to my co-host Merrick here, but thanks for those excellent answers. Um, there's, there's definitely a lot of value there. Yes, absolutely. So why did you gravitate towards music? Did we? Oh, for me. Um, so uh, gravitating towards music, I mean, it's always uh, kind of been like an interest. I mean, um, I, yeah, I think Yamaha and Casio had had these keyboards that had uh, uh, the keys that kind of light up. They light up red. And I think there were the, the, the 66 key ones. Uh, those are like your demo keyboards. And they had the top 100 songs uh, in the 20th and 21st century. Probably not if that's something. Yeah, because it was coming out in the 90s or 2000. They had the... Had the had classical music renditions plus contemporary and like modern they had like star wars themes to you know like you know fairly beethoven and uh, a lot of like the famous like mozart pieces too that were like very simple and you know so i was always music oriented you know growing up in england you know we, we um like we learn like the beatles music uh, public schools uh well, you had like you had our war uniform. Not only war, war uniform, assemblies were oriented. It was very culturally acquainted. Um, it got more culturally diverse as years went on. Like they had their had their own English traditional things, and um, so the music was definitely part of that. Um, 
even uh, this artist called Keen, uh, my, my one of my mother's, my, me and my mother's like one of the favourite artists in the UK. And he was very popular in the 2000s. He had his debut in 2004, uh, Hopes and Fears. Uh, it's probably like a, it's a very peaceful like, album and it's like, it's very like feel good. And, uh, you know, it's, it's clean and it's like, you know, very universally, you know, accepted as like something you know, good to listen to. You can't like, you know, be disgusted by it. Um, yeah, but it's just like learning all these like cultural things. So musical orientation has always been a thing. But what really kind of started it, I had, had this, you know, at least interest in piano, always had interest in piano. It's been a piano. My um, grandma uh, had it when she first like moved to uh, London in 1960. So she had a piano. Uh, she had this like, um, uh, Berry piano from like London, so all the keys were in ivory. Um, so they're real elephant tusks and yellow now. And it's like a got to be like almost, yeah, like 70 or something year old piano. My grandma still has it, you know, it's like uh, quite a, quite an old one, but always been around music and uh, especially you know, classical music. And been interested, especially like when I moved over here, had found a CD and it. Uh, had his one music teacher for like only a few months or around the end of 2007. So that uh, kind of sparks more, my, more of my interest in just seeing uh, lots of YouTube videos on it. And that, so that's how uh, Music Oriented really started. It's always kind of been there, but it really, it was like a seed that was kind of planted in the ground, but it didn't flourish until I was you know, more like 12, 13 years old. That's when, when it really started to be more... More profound and more of my um, gifts and talent was um, and purpose just kind of came from there. So, how has your autism spectrum disorder played a part in picking up and performing music? Yeah, so uh, with autism spectrum disorder, um, uh, from a from a psychiatrist and expert, they. Um, uh, we tend to have like very you know, profound interest in you know, certain things and it could be anything. It could be, you know, if it's like Mary math of science, it could be, you know, book stories uh, and just like any, any kind of interest. It could be like, um, you know, it could be like an interesting one. It could be like a, you know, honestly like what we could, what a lot of people can consider like, you know, like a weird interest, you know, and you can have like these like, uh, have like lots of pets. You can have like pet and you know, crickets or something. You 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 can have you interested in certain you know like forms of life or certain animals, and you know, you're just absolutely into it. And I don't know, pet and the parents like support you know, your passions. You 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 they would uh, absolutely support them, and they would have you know almost like everything that they kind of wanted in that you know in, in that in any kind of field. But uh, for but for like music. Um, how we're like neurologically inclined to have some interest in music. It's um, I think I think for everyone you know, music is very universal in in the world of hearing, and having autism um, just like kind of make, make that makes that interest. So I discovered you know like new ways to learn music. I've always had the you know following these like red lights on the keyboard, but. And we got to a point where I was like very focused on it, and um, it was really, really like um, I, I was in middle school with someone who was won a talent show, and 
it was kind of like an eye opener. It was like, well, it was just for some reason I wanted to start taking it seriously again. And when I and when I wanted to take that seriously, it was like it, it helped me to be very focused, and I would think about the music in my head and think about you know the patterns uh, on, on on the piano and everything. And it's very structured. So for classical music, especially, it's a, it's, a, it's a very it's a very structural thing. Um, uh, for I'm qu- quoting Billy Joel, is um, like for music, you know, Beethoven is like oh, God. Everything he's written is perfect. Uh, and uh, I understand that more because, like, you know, when I'm learning certain sonatas or, you know, kind of like going through, it's like there's certain like sonatas, if you play the wrong note, it's like it it's really, really just put you off. It's kind of kind of like that. But with, um, I know, but like understanding the styles of uh, different composers and how, how, how structured they are. And it's it really, especially the any like etudes or any like the structural sonatas that have like the same theme, especially studies of works of repetitive themes. We we like repetition. We like uh, a practice. We like you know also the spectrum. We do we're very focused on having some kind of order, some kind of pattern. So not only like can that you have like your pattern of um of people that you're surrounded and your you know, how your daily routine. And how it's on more emphasized, and how that uh, on, on a spectrum you can you know, have your own you know, little like you know very different, but very you know, straightforward. Uh, you know, straightforward could be like straightforward monotone, or you know like um, you know some lot, lot of hyperactivity. And um, when it comes to certain subjects that just start to appeal to you, so that's something that appeals to you. I mean, you just you're obsessed with it and you have an obsession or you, you kind of master learning about things and and a bit to a point where it just becomes impressive to um like like the general public and with, with like classical music classical music and its structure uh and uh, and the beauty behind you like a new lot of themes and uh and how elaborate you can be in the same key different keys and notes and sound and being very particular Especially being sensitive to sound, I met I met this ten-year-old uh, has autism, Sammy Gershahorn, uh, the, the the piano guys um, actually like uh, had him perform on a concert, and they actually interviewed him and they featured him, which was, you know, was absolutely brilliant. And I got to meet him, and it was like you know uh, that that that's a nice I want to have a nice honourable mention to uh, Sam Sam Gershahorn. Uh, and you know how he's particular in sound. I mean, I the only time I've been particular in sound uh, in the UK, like a top, you know, like u- urinal urinals, like they they flush automatically, and sometimes it gets loud. And you know, I had that, that was the only memory of me having an issue with like with sensory. And there are certain like if there's certain sounds that I hate, or certain songs that I don't like, or if I find a song annoying or something. Um, yeah, I it was actually very hard to contain. I remember, I think I, I did this project in like high school with these two girls. We had to make a commercial, and we made a commercial about like Justin Bieber and Eminem's or you know, something silly like that. But like on the they they, they played um, like Justin Bieber song, my boyfriend, and I had and this introduction. The introduction has has this. Um, like almost like whistling sound with a drum. Um, you know, it's probably from 
uh, I know it's like an, an electronic kind of thing, but th- that was like played over and over again. And it got, uh, after a few times, it got very, it got very um, aggravating. And it was kind of like, oh, uh, it's like, you know, I'm thinking, oh, okay, I'm not, you know, not a child anymore. I used to have, have, have a slight bit of sensory issues in early stages of life after my diagnosis. But like, this one was kind of bad. I remember, I think, when I was in fine arts from my piano, uh, they played on, on, on like a bus. We were on the way to Orlando, Florida or something. They, they were playing it and everyone, like every girl on the bus was starting to sing. And I had to sit on the floor and I was like, shutting my ears. And I was like, oh, no. It's, but, you know, I think I wanted to think uh, I was being funny, but that was actually like a serious response because it was just like, you know, aggravating. So that's sound century and the structure of sound. And, and you know, just going, going back to, you know, the classical music and how um, a lot of people, if they're interested in classical music and then uh, we're getting the repetition, the structure, it's very soothing. And you get just starting to get the passion is elaborate. It's the same, same key, same sound, same move, kind of movements. And we just really, you know, when you, it's just like the achievement and dopamine gets you know, released and, and, you know, especially with accomplishing, you know, like being able to perform sound perform and create, you know, sounds that are really good. It's just not only feels good, but especially sharing it also feels good. And, you know, so that's how my, I think my autism actually really helped my uh, music because of the way that I was focused and the way that um, I got to have a like a you know very profound interest in it. Okay, so what advice would you give to some of autism spectrum disorder who wants to get who wants to go into music performance? Oh yeah, so if you want to go to music performance, your autism spectrum disorder. I mean, uh, it does depend. It's like. Um, in modern, in modern times, you know, performing music between, you know, like, you know, decades ago and now, um, it is very different, but you do want to upload um, your content um, and have music aggregators wherever you can. And, um, but if you, but if you do know you have skilled gifts and you do know, you, if you have enough recognition, you, you, you always um, got to perform. And and you've got to go all in. Uh, there are moments you should go all in. If you can't necessarily go all in full time, you can still make it a part of your life. So um, if you don't, you don't want to be stuck, um, you know, relying uh, on the music, making it stress. You don't want to make music music a chore. Once it becomes a chore, uh, that it can it can actually you know, kill um, a passion. I mean, I, I've even came close to that. But even if I even if you don't do, you always at least start part time and at least like you know, build it up and just in, uh, absolutely incorporate it uh, into your life uh, um, whenever possible. And uh, when you're passionate and skilled enough, and you really put in like absolute work, um, you know, I, you, I can even like uh, um, take you can even take advice from like uh, hip hop artists like Drake and um, some of the lyrics they've. They've kind of put in their music um, in the Scorpion album. Uh, I can't remember the name of the song. It's somewhere in the Scorpion album. Uh, you know, I've, I've been in the studio since 6.45 until 6.45. So I'm just staying up all night, really putting in work. Uh, but not 
you know, not overdoing it, but not underdoing it. You know, you want to have your sweet spot. Um, uh, you you want to want to make sure you can experience you know life as well as as great as possible, and you do want to you know, you know be responsible responsible with you know for your health and your well being and your social surroundings. Uh, but I do absolutely encourage it. You know, what, what, if you're at least known and you have like a you you have like enough people that are like like you and support you, you just just do what you can to just incorporate and absolutely go into it. I mean, because you you have to put your heart and soul soul into it. I mean, just make it an absolute part of your life. And so you just want to find that sweet spot. I mean, you know, um, I. I um, if you start getting discouraged, um, just like absolutely keep in there and just really not pl- just just planning things out and just make it um, something that's a you know, part of your life. If it's full time or part time, um, you know, whatever works, just absolutely keep uh, keep at it and don't you know, don't absolutely kill kill any gifts or, or talents or passions because you know, you, you, there's a lot lots of support um, out there. You just have to find it and. Um, not, I'm not saying it's ever easy, but it's definitely um, worth it. Um, you know, when, when you're just living, just living a good life, and it's, and it's purposeful. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely go into it and uh, just really just know your market, know know your skill set, and just really you know, put that to work and just uh, keep inspiring people and just be inspired too. Yeah, what inspiring uh, words of uh, wisdom and uh, so talented and a role model for others. Um, So um, I would, I have appreciated um, all the interviews that we have done through the uh, other advisory board members and through you. And it's just so great to be spotlighting all of the advisory board members and uh, and especially you. Um, So I would just like to take the time to say that um, you are so valuable to us that um, you have taken some time to, uh, you know, to uh, <clears throat> to spend your time with us. Absolutely, yeah, I appreciate it. Glad, glad, glad to be a part of the of the group and be affiliated with the L Center of Excellence. Okay, so um, uh, any uh, words that you want to share, Nate? No, I just uh, just echoing what Merrick said. Um, you know, James, we're very grateful for what you do um, as an advisory board member, and uh, you know, just like to ask you to keep up the good work out there. And uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yep. And uh, um, so your evening has been uh, great. And I wish you the best 
of luck in your uh, future endeavors. Yeah, of course, thank you. I could fly so high, oh, like a butterfly. I fly into the air so high, oh, like a butterfly. A moth is a butterfly without any colors, but what's beautiful is what's inside. Maybe a moth is just a butterfly trying to hide. Well, I'm just a caterpillar crawling around. Knowledge in my head, but my feet on the ground. Soon I'll be like an angel in the sky, like a butterfly. I wish that I could fly so high, oh, like a butterfly. I fly into the air so high, oh, like a butterfly. Like a bird, I was meant to soar. I will fly through the sunlight and even when it pours You can't stop me when I get a hold of the wind In the future your eyes will light up To think that I was once a poor caterpillar Will grow up and take to the sky like a flock of butterflies I wish I could fly so high Oh like a butterfly I'll fly into the air I'm a butterfly. 